True Scary Story is a podcast about personal, terrifying stories dealing with the paranormal. True accounts from people who live through strange and supernatural experiences, told directly by them. My name is Edwin Covarrubias, and for years I have been listening to stories from people who have shared their most frightening true experiences with me. There was one story recently called There's Something in the Closet where Juanita tells us about her experiences growing up in a house where she would see objects physically move on their own, but the rest of her family would act as if nothing was happening. It wasn't until years later that she found out what the source of it all was, which makes me wonder, if you were to witness a haunting, who would believe you? Come find True Scary Story by typing it into your app right now. I'll see you over there. On True Scary Story. Horror Story is a podcast about strange and mysterious true horrors. My name is Edwin Covarrubias, host and producer of Horror Story. In the show, I have an episode called There's a Stranger in Your Walls, and it's about a woman that moved out of her home because she thought it was being haunted. But the truth happened to be even scarier than the ghosts. Other stories dive deep into the supernatural like the one of the most infamous cases of real ghosts, called The Haunting in San Pedro. But if you're into mysteries, learn about the pilot who disappeared in the sky. All of these and more are available on Horror Story right now, with more episodes coming out every single week. You can search for the podcast by typing in Horror Story on your podcast app right now. The show is the one with the yellow letters. I'll see you over there on Horror Story. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Listener, you're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's edition, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations. With two audio adaptations of frightening fiction about abhorrent appetites in worrisome workplaces. I'm your host of the evening, Danielle Hewitt, here to represent our women in horror for the final week of February. And tonight, I'll be your guide as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your darkest dreams. Now get your tickets ready. Take your seat in our theater of the minds. Embrace yourself. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Our first tale of the evening is written by Economy Candidate 299 and is performed by Danielle Hewitt and Heather Thomas. We all know a family member or two that doesn't seem to be as... orthodox as the rest of the family. 
while this next family's favorite auntie takes it to a carnal level. Now, without further ado, I present to you, my aunt loves to eat raw meat. You should all try raw meat, my aunt says, smiling down at us during one family barbecue. Healthy. Like a lion, she bites down and chews her cherry red steak delightfully in front of us, our faces wrinkling simultaneously. Putting my fork down, I catch Grandpa shaking his head while my parents and other relatives recoil. It isn't the first time she's done this, and it makes us lose our appetite looking at our juicy grilled ones. Awkwardly, we just sit there until one of my uncles has had enough. Stop eating like a zombie! Look at your face! He stands up to her, huffing. We have kids! Eat like a real human! At that point, she snaps. You guys do realize cooked meat contains carcinogens. The same stuff found in cigarettes, right? The ones that cause cancer? My aunt whips off to her table. Cooked meat is unhealthy. Raw meat isn't. Red and delicious. Grass-fed and no hormones. Real nutrients. Undeterred, my uncle tries to yank her plate, only to face her fork between them. I squirm in my seat and duck under the table as my uncle swats her hand away. He yells at her until Grandpa tells him off to leave her alone. Afterward, my aunt resumes life as normal, much to my uncle's fistful rage. I hate family fights. While most of the family roll their eyes and ignore her for the rest of the time, I'm in the minority. The opposite. They don't understand. I mean, it's her life, her decision. And yet, she's the black sheep. I know that feeling very well. It's unfair to her because she's not hurting people. They just don't get it. Later, I join her during the fireworks and hand her an orange soda. We watch as one rocket ascends and explodes in a brilliant red-white flash against the starry sky. Isn't it beautiful? My aunt says, sipping her drink. Bright and fresh. It is, I say. It is. Before going home for the night, I hug her and promise her I'll visit soon. Out of all my aunts, I consider her the coolest one. We live in a rural area where an acre away behind the house stands the woods. A few houses down the road opposite us is where my aunt lives. It's an old white house that sits around a gentle bend in the road. A good walk would take you there. I don't mind doing this. Almost every day, as promised, I would drop by my aunt's house to say hi. Even when it's school. And I would spend time with her late into the afternoon just to keep her company. Mom and Dad work late night shifts anyway, so I'm not too worried. One late afternoon, I'm at her house and we have our usual strawberry milkshakes made of berries from her strawberry patch behind her house and organic milk. It's going great until my aunt decides to have an early dinner. I want to repay your kindness from the barbecue earlier. My aunt winks at me. I'll be back. I'm speechless as she brings a rack of raw steaks and ribs and chicken out of the fridge. 
She then puts out two large plates and carefully divides the raw meat between us. When she finally notices that I am not digging in, she gently pushes my plate toward me. I crack a nervous smile, trying to suppress my disgust. This is great, she says before biting her cold rib. Delicious. You'll grow up to be a strong woman if you do. I cast my eyes on the raw pink chicken drum and the dark red steak and rib. There's still light frost on them. I purse my lips, staring at my plate. You won't be strong if you don't eat it. It takes me a minute to reply. I can't eat this, Aunt Zelda. My throat feels tight. It's the truth. Oh, you can, silly. I've eaten raw meat since I was on the gymnastics teams in your school. See my trophies in the living room? Well, yeah, but... Eat it. I raise my brow. That doesn't sound positive at all. It's a dark command. Unlike the ant I love and know. No thanks. I drum my fingers nervously as my aunt raises her fork at me. I'm okay. Fine as ever. Eat the raw meat. Stubbornly, I stand my ground, and after refusing her many attempts, it's making me feel sick to my stomach. But her eyes... My hair raises as my aunt stares at me dead in the eye, hammering her fist on the table. I jump and chills come as she grabs a fork and corners me. My heart drops into my stomach. I sniffle as chills paralyze me. Cold metal strokes against my jugular. It tickles. My heart pounds hard as the prongs reach my throat lump and stay there. I suddenly remember she did this to my uncle at the barbecue. Her fork. This feels like the longest minute until I suddenly see tears gushing from my aunt's eyes, her cheeks pinkening. I've never seen her cry like that before. She backs away, releasing the fork and sinks onto the floor and wails. While her fork scared me, my heart hurt for her in that last minute. No relatives visit her, but I do. And she's being herself, after all. But her actions scare me. Go. My aunt whispers to me. So sorry. So sorry. Go home. A warm, silky whisper. Quietly shaken, I leave the house with tears on my face. I haven't seen her after that, though I do worry for her. It isn't until a bad rainstorm hits the area months later that I do see her again. It turns out the rain has flooded my aunt's house. By this point, I want to give my aunt another chance despite what happened. My parents don't know. I I can't bring myself to tell them. The idea is I don't want to abandon my aunt after some incidents. She's gone through enough ridicule and shunning already. After some convincing, mom and dad agree. It shouldn't be forever. And my aunt takes the move excitedly, bringing some of her raw meat with her, much to their chagrin. 
What happens now shouldn't be bad, right? Everything got off to a start on the first day. Mom, Dad, and me all watched in amazement as my aunt wolfed the entire burger patties within an hour before we could cook them. And she took gardening with enthusiasm, as well as making fresh lemonade for everybody. It was a start, at least. But something weird happened to all the meat in the house on the second night, which ended up with my aunt being annoyed. It was a mystery for a while. She tried not to complain at first, insisting she's fine. As time went on, however, she became extremely pale. I mean, she looked really sick, even though she could still do chores and whatnot. Things eventually got hairier. My parents argued with her, accusing her of sneaking around the house and said that they had thrown out the remaining raw meat, knowing her habit. Telling her that led to something rather unexpected. The next thing I remembered was my aunt storming off to her room, stomping her feet and mumbling nonsense. She's been upset ever since. It wasn't the only thing I noticed, however. My aunt began to stay outside the house longer than she had previously. And when she came back inside, she was quiet and had limited contact with everybody made me wonder how long she'd been staying out there as I noticed a stinky smell coming from her. And her appearance had changed, wearing dirty clothes and her hair wild. I tried my best to mind my business, focusing on school and other stuff. It didn't take long for me to find out one day. I caught her rolling in the dirt joyfully, like it was snow. Rolling in the dirt brings you down to earth, she explained. You should try it, silly. I could only watch in amusement. By the sixth night, I thought I heard something downstairs, some bangs and clatter. I came down, staying close to the wall. The house was dark except for the kitchen and dining room. I wormed around broken china. The fridge was opened wide, the light beaming like the small chandelier above the dinner table. It was a mess. And Zelda... I gaped at my aunt as she dug around under the sink. What are you doing? My aunt stopped and looked at me, her eyes bloodshot, her skin very pale. Her uncombed, frizzy hair covered her face and I could see her eyes glinting through it. There was something about those eyes. Cold. Calculating. It unsettled me. But I asked again, only for her to lick her lips repeatedly. She approached me, extending her arms as if she wanted to touch me. Raw meat, she said. I must have raw meat. The way she said that sounded zombie-like. Not her usual bubbly voice I'm used to. Raw meat. Raw meat. Her eyes focused on mine. Raw meat. A funny feeling in my stomach came and my heart pounded fast. I just stood still. It was as if my my soul left me. It was very weird. Hey, I say, my voice shaking. "What What are you doing? 
but my aunt only grabbed my arms like an eagle snatching a salmon from the water. Her nails dug into my skin. I didn't know what was wrong with her as her eyes were bloodshot and bagged. She hissed at my face and my eyes grew wide. I almost peed my pants and almost screamed as she showed me her teeth. And I saw a wild look on her face, eyes wide, a wide grin. I shut my eyes, trembled, and yanked frantically. Let me go, let me go! I pulled and pulled. She showed no sign of letting go. Then she laughed like a witch. Suddenly, the front door cracked open. My aunt snapped out of it as soon as mom and dad entered the house. Thinking back, that time was awkward and creepy and cringy. I never saw my aunt like that before, but it scared me terribly, so I began to avoid her. By the second week at breakfast one day, I saw my aunt briefly before going to school. Instead of smiling, she looked at me, licking her lips repeatedly. I stayed quiet as soon as she headed for the spare bedroom. Though I didn't know what was happening with her, I did spend the school day trying not to worry. When I got home, I found her staring at me again. I backed out of the door carefully and used another way in. Once in, I found her gone. I then went into the kitchen, hoping it'd be a nice change of scenery. While I scribbled on my report, I stopped. There were these scratching noises that followed. Not like a mouse, but something. I tried working, but I had this sudden feeling. I had goosebumps. Was I being watched? I didn't see my aunt anywhere, and I was alone in the dining room. A lump formed in my throat. I didn't like it at all. I couldn't concentrate, so I changed rooms and resumed homework. While doing that, I thought I heard something climbing the walls outside my room. I didn't come out, and I locked my door. The hours ticked by, and before I knew it, Mom and Dad came home early. We had dinner without my aunt. About midway, my parents began talking about how my aunt wasn't going to be good for the household for long. They proceeded on to the point of kicking her out. I dropped my fork. While I had tried to tolerate my aunt lately, I finally told my parents the truth. I told them that my aunt had threatened me with her fork and that she had made me uncomfortable in my own home. The truth was the last straw, and I lost my appetite. My aunt's fate was decided. I couldn't handle it anymore. As I walked by my aunt's bedroom, I thought I heard growling coming from in there. But I thought it was just me. Later that night, I heard footsteps from outside my door, a crash in the kitchen, and then a commotion, a scream, all downstairs, then a sickening slurp. At this point, I was scared. I didn't want to get off my bed. Maybe it's the adults fighting again. But it felt different this time. Slowly, I got off, and I tiptoed down the hallway, I called mom and dad in desperate whispers. Mom? Dad? Nothing. I tried again. Still nothing. And I swore I heard something 
cracking and slurping. I didn't know what I was thinking, but I followed those sounds by tiptoe, 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 tiptoe. Every tiptoe, I slowly made my way to the kitchen, and I gagged. I recovered almost immediately, so sure it didn't smell that bad before. I saw the refrigerator left open. With the light, I also saw... Blood? A severed hand? To snap me out of it, I flipped the lights on and screamed. Blood soaked everywhere in the kitchen. It was a mess. What petrified me more were mom and dad's severed heads. Mom's frizzy hair and messy makeup. Dad's grizzled chin, his eyes without glasses. Both had an agonized look on their faces. They faced me, glassy-eyed, and their bodies lay next to each other. What's left of them? Looking like flat balloons without air. Only without their bones and muscles, organs and feet and arms. Their skins were shredded like paper. I just stood there, speechless. So much blood. Then I heard whispers. Whispers of my name. Whispers that seemed to spread throughout the house, along with creaking and scratching mixed in. Miley. Then the creaking and scratching stopped. Miley. Miley. My eyes widened at the sounds of my name, and pretty soon these whispers began taunting me. I tensed up, not, not knowing what to do. And then, out of the blue, a bloodied foot fell in front of me. I screamed and stumbled. Somebody then laughed, and I cast my eyes on the high ceiling. What I saw gave me chills. There, my aunt, my cool aunt, smiled at me, her skin a lively color, her long, frizzy hair, wild, all caked in the rawest meat and blood possible. I couldn't move as she effortlessly climbed down and slowly licked my cheek once, like I was ice cream. Was I paralyzed or something? I wanted to run, but my legs failed me. I just couldn't move anymore, and that made me cry. She picked up a fork. I would have eaten you too. She whispered to my ear as she caressed my other cheek with her finger lovingly. Her breath smelled like death. Hush now. It's me, silly. Her nails poked my shoulders. See this mess? This is what happens when you don't eat raw meat daily. But you're my favorite niece. She scratched me with her fork on the cheek. It stung. I tried rolling in the dirt to keep my mind off of raw meat. But you know, it's too much. You should try raw meat. It's healthy for you. She licked my blood off the prongs as if it were chocolate and picked up the foot, which I noticed was partially chewed. If you follow me, you'll be next. She added, 
her voice an icy silk. Helpless, I whimpered and said nothing as my aunt carried off what remained of my parents, crushed the lock on the back door, and exited somewhat quietly. What did I just witness? I felt numb. A few minutes later, I trembled and snapped out of it and followed her until just outside, my hands and feet and PJs sticky and wet with blood. Where are you going? I asked desperately in tears. Where? I kept asking until my throat hurt, but she didn't answer. I wanted to follow more, but the warning she had given me stopped me from doing it. I could only watch their shadows disappear deep into the woods in silence. And I stood there for some time on the patio, hoping they would come back. They never did, alone and defeated. I hugged my knees and wept about what I had just lost. What my aunt did that night left me an orphan. She also left me with so many unanswered questions, questions I tried to suppress but couldn't. Is this my aunt when she's deprived of raw meat? Does this mean humans are on her menu, too? Where is she now? To this day, I still wonder about what happened that night. And not only that, everywhere I go, regardless of what I'm doing in my new life living with other relatives, I can still hear her whispers. Her cold, silky voice calling my name, trying to encourage me to eat raw meat. Despite everything, I have to admit it does seem intriguing, and I often wonder what it really tastes like. And she did say I'm her favorite niece. Should I try raw meat? Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I hope you enjoyed My Aunt Loves to Eat Raw Meat, as written by Economy Candidate 299. And my work can be found here on our very own network, as well as over on the Creepy Podcast at www.creepypod.com. Check it out. 
and be sure to let them know Danielle sent you. Our second tale of the evening comes to us from author William Cooper. It is performed by me, Danielle Hewitt, Heather Thomas, Olivia Steele, and Justin Reynolds. After Danielle receives a strange phone call from Brianna, her co-worker, she is concerned when she doesn't come into work. After a couple of days, she and another co-worker, Layla, go to their manager. Without further ado, I present to you, It Grins in the Darkness. Danielle stared at the receiver, confused by the whispered voice, but put it back to her ear. I can't seem to escape it. Everywhere I go, it's there. I see it whenever I wait for a bus while watching television or when I'm asleep. Always there. Brianna? Danielle said. I'm starting to wonder if there's anything else in the world but this job. It comes up with the sun. What are you talking about? Some days I can ignore it and carry on like there's nothing wrong. Why are you whispering? Are you okay? But it's only a delay. Putting it off. And when it comes back, it's stronger, harder, and more difficult to ignore. A scream that I can't drown out. There, there, there. Overwhelming everything else in my life. Danielle wanted to ask more questions, but the breathy insistence of Brianna's voice stopped the inquiries. She wanted to know what was wrong with Brianna and why she was phoning after midnight. The quick desperation in Brianna's words were like an implacable hand pressed against her throat, cutting off her voice. I've never encountered something so big. Bigger than the universe. Have you ever looked at the sun and watched it swell in your vision, taking everything else away? That's what it's like. But this job is bigger than the fucking sun. I can't turn my back on it, Brianna said. You aren't making any sense, Bree, said Danielle, ignoring the croak in her voice. Do you need me to come over? Should I give Layla a ring? All these people, every day, walking back and forth. The ones in the offices were watching them, selecting them. A program for this, a, a process for that. All camouflage. Hiding behind the windows, ready to drop, ready to move, ready to eat it all. Come on, Bree. You have to answer me. Give me a sign you can hear me. <laughs> Their appetite is endless. They are just bottomless holes disguised as people. They look at us, make assessments, measure us, and judge us for our nutritional value. Do you know how much energy a human releases when it burns? I don't like this, Bree. If it's a joke, it's not funny. Danielle wanted to hang up and shut herself away from the mad speech of her friend. She couldn't. The more she wanted to break off the call, the more insistently her thumb stayed in place. Resolute. She promised to phone someone after Brianna hung up. And there are so many people. A constant stream. All are passing the glass, being seen. So few know. So few are allowed to know. We all think we understand how it works and what the rules are. The rules are rewritten every day and kept hidden from us. They pass the new rules amongst themselves, hiding them from us. Come on, Brie, what's wrong? When they show us the existence of the rules, they make it seem like they've done us a huge favor, like it's somehow going to improve our lives. They still bind us, held us down, and kept out of the way, where they want us. The phone clicked off, cutting the connection. 
Danielle was left with the phone singing its monotonous drone of a broken line. She scrolled to Layla's phone number and considered ringing, but she felt tired, weary beyond reason, and she had work in the morning anyway. She lay back down and fell asleep immediately. Brianna had not turned up for work the morning after she had phoned Danielle. She stared at Brianna's space in the office, which had been empty for two days now. She, Layla, and a few others were even more worried when Danielle told them what happened. She's been acting weird for a while now. Maybe we need to tell somebody, Layla said. What are we supposed to say? She's been a little distant the last couple weeks and then made a weird phone call to me? That would be a good start. None of the managers have been too worried about her turning up. I thought at least Joe might have something to say about it. Joe's a space cadet. I don't think he knows what fucking day it is most of the time. And since when have any of the managers been interested in what's happening to one person in this place? They might raise an eyebrow if we walked out, but beyond that, they don't give a shit about us. That being the case, even if we do tell someone, why do you think they would get up off their arses and do anything? We at least have to get Joe in the loop about this. That sounds like the worst idea you've had for a while. He'll think we're talking about one of the Bryans and tell us they're both sitting out here. Come on, Danielle, that's not fair. It's not like he's a complete disaster of a supervisor. Most of the time, he knows what he's doing. Danielle looked at Layla in slight annoyance. Fuck. Why do you have to be right all the time? It's a curse as well as a blessing. Layla went to Joe's office and Danielle hesitated. Layla realized Danielle was not following when she was halfway across the room. She turned and skewered Danielle with a look of annoyance and disappointment. Danielle sagged and slumped after Layla. What can I do for you? Joe said with a smile that vanished in a moment. What's wrong? Have you heard anything from Brianna in the last couple of days? Layla asked. He looked blank, looked out the window of his office and back at the two women. Why? She hasn't been to work in two days, Danielle said, wrestling with the irritation in her voice. This is what she had been worried about. I haven't heard anything about her not being in. Joe said and looked confused. You're telling me you haven't noticed she hasn't been in the office for two days? I thought it had been a little bit emptier here. There's something you need to know, Layla said, covering Danielle's stunned silence. Go on, Joe said. Once she had choked down her anger, Danielle told Joe about the phone call and how Brianna's behavior had changed in recent weeks. He answered correctly, frowning, nodding, and rubbing his chin. Danielle still didn't feel like he was listening. This is serious and worrying, he said once finished. That's why we came to see you. Something's up and it would be good if you could help a little, Layla said. Joe bit his lip and looked along the top of his desk. At last, he said, Was that a joke? That's not Brianna style. Anyway, when have you ever seen her play a joke on anyone? It looked like Joe was going to answer. He said nothing, only frowned. If she had not worked harder for him under the last few years, she might have been fooled into thinking he was carefully considering the situation. The frantic drumming right on the edge of his desk told her he was flailing. You don't know what to do, Layla said. That's not true. I'm going to tell Ferg in HR. This is more something he'll know how to deal with. And you're sure this isn't something else? She hasn't just gone on a bender and will turn up tomorrow. Midweek boozing? Get a grip, Joe. Even when we've gone out with her for the weekend, she'll drink a few beers and then go on to water for the rest of the night, Danielle said. It's true. She says hangovers hit her for days and she hates rolling into work feeling like that. Layla said and paused, looking awkward. This has been on the cards for a while. Brianna's been in a bad way mentally for months. The bold statement hit Danielle harder than she expected. She had been thinking about it since the day before. 
but hearing it from Layla solidified it and made it more real, made her neglect more palpable. She has been acting strangely, hasn't she? Joe said. Yeah, Danielle said, finding it difficult to speak. Maybe I should have tried talking to her. Give her a little bit of encouragement or something. Internally, Danielle recoiled at the suggestion. Joe was a mediocre communicator. He did enough to fulfill the basics of his job, and any more than that saw him in a similar state to what she observed now, struggling to function. It's fine, Joe. Whatever was going on with her passed us all by, Layla said. Danielle shot Layla a look and Layla offered her sympathetic smile. Joe did not seem to notice, too busy drumming his fingers and staring at the wall. Okay, I'll get a hold of Ferg and tell him what's happening. Thanks. Joe said in a sudden and uncharacteristic fit of decisiveness. What do you think's going to happen now? Danielle said as she and Layla left the office. I don't know. Probably a couple of days of waiting while everybody hopes she just returns. It was almost the end of the day, and Danielle was wrapping up her various tasks when Joe came out of his office. She had barely seen him since she and Layla had spoken to him that morning. He indicated that she and Layla joined him in his office. He sat behind his desk, relaxed and smiling. What about this situation made him think it was appropriate to act this way? Layla looked puzzled and unsettled too. Fury bubbled deep in her gut, but she held it down and stopped herself from exploding at him. I spoke to Ferg and a few other people, and they tell me that Brianna's been moved up. Joe said. What? Danielle snapped. I thought you would have been happier than this. She started upstairs a couple of days ago. I remember she went for the interview last month, Layla said. But she hadn't said anything about it since then. Maybe she was being superstitious. Scared that if she spoke about it too much, it might not happen. Joe said with a careless shrug. Maybe, Danielle said unconvinced. I suppose that clears it up, Layla said. Yeah, I'm sure she'll get around to talking to you soon. They've got her working hard up there. Give her a few days, Joe said. He looked at his watch. You two will be clearing out soon. Layla and Danielle trooped out of the office. Danielle was preoccupied. So, she's left us down here then, Layla said. Danielle was unconvinced. Something was wrong here. None of it explained the phone call or how Brianna acted. We just give her a few days, Layla said. Danielle grunted. Danielle did not like this part of town. It's not high in crime, so it's not dangerous. It was depressing and discomforting. It was the last residential area on this side of town before it was given over to an extensive industrial area. For as long as her memory went back, this place was an expanse of factories. The buildings changed over the years, but it was there, even as other parts of the town withered. She didn't even know what a quarter of the factories did. The area was called Western Hollings, but all the locals called it Factory Town. It was generally acknowledged as more accurate name, as it was closer to the northeast side of town. She had overcome her dislike for this place enough to visit Brianna at home occasionally. Sometimes she forgot about the atmosphere while she sat with her friend. But as soon as it was time to go home, the oppressive feeling settled in again. Where much of the facades and building materials in the rest of the town were light in colors, beiges, grays, pinks, and pastel shades, all the buildings in Factory Town were dark brown. The houses were small and stunted, as though the builders or architects had decided the effort was not worth it. For a long time, she thought the houses might be cozy inside, but when she visited Brianna for the first time, she found it cramped and dark, with too few tiny windows and room dimensions that felt subtly too small. 
even with lights on the house was dingy and shadowy. In the middle of Factory Town was a disproportionately huge church. The story went that the famous and influential inhabitant of the town, convinced that it was the best way of increasing the area's prosperity, wanted there to be a cathedral. He went ahead and built it without consulting any of the major denominations, and none of them wanted anything to do with such a gigantic building. It was now used by a small sect that, from what she understood, could barely fill a row of pews, let alone the whole chapel. The spire was almost as tall as some of the fancy chimneys and dominated the skyline. A grim, austere harbinger of the industrial severity beyond. In the middle of the day, Factory Town was a depressing sight. The streetlights never felt adequate, even though they were distributed the same way here as anywhere else in town. Early evening in the middle of winter lent the already chilly air a frigid twist. Even before driving into Factory Town, she knew this was a bad idea. Being here, standing next to her car, looking at the intimidating brown box her friend's house was, made her question her decision even more. People lived in Factory Town, quite a lot of people, but it was rare that she saw pedestrians. She put the abandoned look of the houses down to the small, inadequate windows, yet she struggled to see lights behind, even though she inspected closely. She was glad, if not comforted, to see some light from inside a house a few doors farther down the street. No such light burned within Brianna's house. It looked more than abandoned. It looked haunted. Like every other building in Factory Town. It was built to hold on to the darkness with grim avarice, making Danielle's insides clench and her intestines to flee were into a frenzy. What did she expect it to find? She had dismissed the question during her drive out there. She could not ignore it any longer. What she expected was different from what she had hoped to find. She had hoped to find Brianna at home, distracted but willing to let her in. Brianna might still be at home. The darkened state of her house did not instill confidence in finding her in a receptive mood for visitors. The bottle of wine felt like a poor choice. She tossed the bottle into the backseat of her car, and while she was still pessimistic about what would happen there, she did not have a bottle of wine to confirm her foolish optimism. Layla would not be happy with her. Layla would also be urging her to go and at least try the front door. She wanted to tell the herringing imaginary Layla to fuck off. The fabricated urging became more vehement because she knew it was the only thing to do now that she was there. Whether it was right would be a matter for future Danielle to decide. Her first knock was brushing her knuckles against the door, the sound barely audible to her. Annoyed at her own timidness, she knocked harder the second time, and the door swung open. She stared into the dark interior of Brianna's house, hands still raised, long enough for her arm to develop a slight ache. What was she supposed to do about this? As still as she was, the inside of the house was more still. Brianna was either elsewhere, or she was dead, and Danielle did not think either was a good sign. She should have phoned the police, but did not trust them to move fast enough to find Brianna. Strange thing to think, yet she was certain Brianna was in danger and too many delays would allow the danger to overtake her. Layla would be proud of the concern, but Danielle was certain this would make her life difficult. Flicking the light on, Danielle stepped boldly into the house. The smell stopped her from going any further inside, like a noose being tugged around her neck. Just as twine digging into her throat would, the stench made her choke and cough. It was foul and persuasive. She tried to cover her mouth with her hand. It made no difference and neither did pinching her nostrils shut. At last, she clamped her jacket over her mouth and nose to make the stench less nauseating. With her other hand, she batted the flies away. 
She pushed through the thickening cloud of fat insects to where she guessed the kitchen was. Plates and piles of rotten food were everywhere. Packs of meat had been torn open and abandoned. Open cartons of milk had steady traffic of flies going in and out. Fruit in various states of blotchy green, white, and yellow decay. And pots overflowing with blooms of fungus sitting on the stove. There was more than neglect. The windows and walls were smeared with an unidentifiable mixture of filth. Brianna had written in the thick coating on the window, but Danielle couldn't read the words. She slammed the door shut and stood in the hall, gagging, hoping it would subside, afraid to take her jacket away from her mouth. The fetter and the state of so much decay kept the spasms coming for several painful minutes. At last, her retching fit gave way to coughing. She wiped the tears away from her eyes and went to look around the rest of the house. This was not the house of someone who had been recently given a management job. This was an abandoned place. A sense of urgency informed Danielle's search. It was a quick task to look through the remaining downstairs room and not find Brianna in them. Upstairs offered a respite from the terrible stench pervading the air downstairs. She was not confident enough to remove the jacket from her mouth and nose. She turned the lights on to banish at least some of the stubborn gloom. Brianna was not there either. The bed was the tidiest thing Danielle had seen since walking in this house. She did not think Brianna had slept in it for a long time. Switching off the lights again as she went, Danielle went back to where it looked like Brianna had spent most of her time at home, the living room. There was more food in the living room, none of it as old and decayed as the disgusting mess in the kitchen. Most of the empty food containers were piled next to the sofa and stuffed into a lumpy black bin bag. Empty containers were too inviting for flies to resist but they were eaten remains and scraps. A pillow was squashed down between one of the sofa cushions and an armrest, while two or three blankets were crumpled at the other end. It looked like it smelled of body odor. With her jacket over her face and the overriding stink from the kitchen, she couldn't tell. Of greater interest to Danielle was the coffee table. An array of notebooks, adult coloring books, and textbooks were scattered. The notebooks were filled with gibberish, long run-on sentences of garbled descriptions. Some details she recognized from interactions at work warped into bizarre encounters with people Brianna did not seem to recognize, including Danielle. As she flicked through the successive notebooks, the recognizable moments became harder to find as Brianna described seeing bloated and melting corpses, screaming faces on her computer screen, dark figures scurrying along the ceilings and other visions. She stopped looking through them when she read the fantasies of setting fire to the co-workers. Brianna was sure were harboring colonies of chattering carnivorous worms. Some of the coloring books had been tackled in earnest and were artistic. Some of the tiniest shapes within the complex patterns had gradiated colors, simulating highlights and shadows. These carefully filled in items were soon taken over by a less deft examples, blocks of color that still looked pleasing. Further books revealed a complete degeneration, with no attempts to fill in the outlines. Pens and pencils were used to scrawl furious lines and scribbles across each page, ignoring the prescribed shapes. Danielle was about to drop a book when she saw a word, almost lost in a violent swirl of zigs and zags. A name. Linton Marcus. At first, she mistook the question mark for more incoherent scribbling, but saw it was too definite, rewritten with the same obsessive purpose as the name. A few pages later was an address. Loud footsteps out in the street made her stop. When the purposeful strides made her pause, she was about to look through the notebooks again to look for other names. Quick and certain, getting closer. Danielle hurried to the light switch and turned off the living room light. 
She wanted to do the same with the hall light, but the footfalls were too close, and the switch was too far away. She hunched down behind the sofa and waited. The person slowly as they walked in the front door just as she had. It might have been Brianna's surprise to find the hall light on. It could have been someone else caught by the wall of heinous pungency. There was even a dim chance it was the police, arriving to investigate after a neighbor saw Danielle, a stranger, walk into the darkened house. A jolt of fear quickened her heart, and she tried to hunker tighter, making herself into a smaller ball. Her eyes darted around in the gloom. She desperately wanted to look. It was too risky. The light from the hall would reveal her. Best to let whoever had walked in satisfy their curiosity. Perhaps miss her and leave again. If they did what she had done, and she had no idea what would happen next. She went through the various scenarios, horrific and heroic. The one outcome she most hoped for was a cursory visit and to be left undiscovered. She could not hear whoever it was. The hall was carpeted, and the person walked with great care, lifting their feet more than Danielle had, not even making a slight shushing sound. They had not left. They could have been standing in the living room doorway. The tugging urge to check was insistent and dangerous. Her knees ached. Small sparks of pain arced up and down the muscles on either side of her spine. The kitchen door creaked open. The person cried out. Danielle flinched and wrestled her urge to scream down into her bowels. Panic did not get a chance to bloom as she realized the voice was familiar. Emboldened, she got up from behind the couch, limping slightly and went into the hall. Layla stood at the closed kitchen door, spitting out the last few chunks of vomit. It's disgusting in there, I know, Danielle said. <laughs> Layla screamed, which caused her to choke and cough. Danielle rushed over to her and led her into the living room. What are you doing here? Layla said once she had recovered enough. Probably the same thing you are. She's not here, by the way. When did you get here? About 15 minutes ago. I've checked the whole house. She's been sleeping in the living room for a long time. The mess in the kitchen isn't healthy. She needs to see a doctor. You're probably right. The stuff in some of those books won't change your mind. How did she get that promotion? I don't think she did. Why would they lie about her? I don't know. I wonder how long she's been struggling with this. Poor girl. We had a night here a couple months ago. She might still have been able to hide it then. I should have been able to see something was off. You're blaming yourself again. This isn't on you. And if you start thinking that way, you'll end up in a similar place to Brianna. A lecture isn't going to help us find her. That's a job for the police. They'll fuck it up. I think I know where to find her. Layla frowned. Whatever you're thinking, it's a really bad idea. Maybe they won't fuck it up. But they won't get here for ages. I've got a good idea where she's gone. If that's where she's gone, if these notebooks are full of stuff written during a mental break, it will be gibberish. It could be a random address she remembered. It might look like a real address, but it isn't. If that's the case, then I've just driven to the other side of town and found nothing. A half hour gone at most. What happened to all that urgency? Are you happy just sitting on your arse here, waiting for the police to turn up in two hours' time? If she's in trouble, they're the best ones to help her. Great. You enjoy yourself. I'm going to find Brianna. Danielle! Danielle waved at her, picking up the coloring book with the address and marched out of the house. She ignored Layla's calls. Danielle hoped Layla did not think she was angry. She had left because she could not think of a persuasive argument that Layla would not have shot down. Walking out was the only thing she could do. 
Now she was here. The certainty she had possessed in Brianna's house was gone. She sat in the car and looked at the address in the coloring book. This was the fourth time she'd stopped the car. She became certain it was the wrong street the first time she stopped. After slowly circling around twice, there was no doubt this was the right place. Getting here was so important a half hour ago. Now she was here. All she had was confusion and dim hope that Layla's worry for Danielle's safety would be as strong. Perhaps her old sense of defiance, exercising itself in the face of Layla's considered rejections, made her drive out. So far, Layla had not come to join her. Like Brianna's house, this place was dark and quiet. It looked even more abandoned. It bristled with signs of neglect. A section of the guttering had collapsed, and the intact sections were overflowing with tufts of grass, fireweed, and sycamore saplings. Roof tiles were missing, and chunks of the facade were gone, revealing crumbling brickwork beneath. It was all bathed in the ugly glow of streetlights. Among the decay and the neglect were signs that the house was more occupied than it first seemed. The front door was new, a sturdy, security-minded affair that her parents had tried to get her to install. The windows were double-glazed, and the white frames all but shone in the brown-orange light. She was stuck. She did not want to be there, but wanted to know where Brianna was. So far as she could tell, this was the best chance to discover what happened to her. The house was taunting. She had already stood there for a concerning length of time. This was a much better area than Factory Town. The house's rundown aspect made it an anachronism among the well-maintained properties along the street. Now there was a concern that the neighbors might become suspicious, even concerning such a shabby place. The imaginary Layla was screaming in her mind to get out. An imaginary Danielle added her gibbering voice to create a disturbing chorus. Despite her anxiety and how much she agreed with the clamoring voices, she was determined to see through what she started. Turning back would be worse than whatever she might see inside the house. As she expected, the front door was locked. After checking the houses on the other side, she looked in the window next to the door. The room was dark and unfurnished. The floorboards were visible. Some were cracked, loose, and sitting askew. Cobwebs danced a slow dance close to the high ceiling. The doorway, empty of a door, showed nothing of the rest of the house. If Brianna had been there, she was long gone. The only people who might know anything were the owners of the nearby house, and Danielle did not want to talk to them. She dreaded the awkward conversation such inquiries would create. She was disappointed and relieved not to have found Brianna or whoever Linton Marcus was. Guilt set in quickly, feeling like she'd abandoned her friend while being aware that she had done everything she could and more than she should have done. Time to leave. It took her several seconds to realize a man was standing next to her car. The street was well lit, yet she got the sense of a silhouette, almost a phantom at first. She thought perhaps something about staring through the glass into the dark interior of the house had created an afterimage. The man did not fade. His teeth glinted, catching the glow from the streetlights in a way that the rest of his form somehow dodged. Even his eyes were lost behind a mask of darkness. Something was wrong with the way his teeth glittered. Too many of them. Silvery and crooked. Looked like they belonged to a statue of a god of terror. Danielle's guts writhed. They turned to ice when she realized she had to walk past the man to get in her car. He stepped forward and his face became visible. His skin was pale with a waxy sheen. The placement and orientation of his mouth were still wrong. But the teeth, while crooked, 
looked like those of a person. Shrewd eyes imbued with piercing energy skewered her to the spot. Hello, Danielle. We weren't expecting you quite yet, but we are glad you made it, he said, his voice scraping and jangling like broken glass across her brain. What have you done with Brianna? She didn't know where the ability to speak came from. Her throat felt numb and slack, while her mind scrabbled like a trapped bird. Gave her a new place to be. Gave her more money. She's not a problem. You, on the other hand... The man walked toward her, a strong arm wrapped around her throat. She scratched and kicked at the person holding her, but the arm tightened. In moments, her arms hung at her sides, and soon, oblivion took her. Layla was tired. Talking to the police was interesting. She was lucky they had not arrested her for breaking and entering. Being in Brianna's house at all was stressful. All the insane writing. The mess and the smell would haunt her forever. Dealing with Danielle managed to make it all worse. Being ignored whenever she tried to phone Danielle made Layla's head hurt even more when Danielle switched her phone off. Despite her exhaustion, she wanted to set things right with Danielle. They were still friends and she did not want to be on bad terms with her. It might take a few days or weeks, but she was certain they could get past the weirdness. All that was for later. Right now she wanted to sleep. She tumbled into her flat and made it to bed. Her alarm woke her. It was a habit that guided her through a shower, change of clothes, and out the door. There were not many people in the office when she arrived. The place was mostly deserted, but for one seat, and it surprised her. Danielle was there, hunched over her desk. Layla had never seen her come in so early. Hey, Danny, can we talk? She said as she walked up to her. Danielle did not respond. Danny, come on, you can't give me the sight. A plug formed in Layla's throat when she got close enough to see why Danielle did not turn. She could barely comprehend what she saw. Danielle's fingers were glued to the keyboard. The adhesive so strong that the skins of her fingertips were torn and raw. Rods were stapled to her neck, with the plates at either side of her face to stop her from turning her head. Blood had dried around the rod and the staples, but some still trickled from Danielle's involuntary movements. A wire was threaded through her lips, and her legs were crudely sewn to the seat. On her work monitor were the words, This is your work now. She wept silently. Gasping, Layla staggered away from Danielle. She got her phone out and started to put in the emergency services number. There's no need for that, Joe said and plucked the phone from her hands. Her output will increase. I think we can work on yours too. I hope you enjoyed It Grins in the Darkness, as written by William Cooper and performed by Danielle Hewitt, Heather Thomas, Olivia Steele, and Justin Reynolds. Justin Reynolds currently resides in Stevens Point, but still has part of himself in Madison, Wisconsin, aka Madtown. Justin has an intense adoration for music. He loves all the artistic and creative endeavors of life, from the beautiful to the ugly. On that note, be sure to check out the other shows we offer on our network. We have Horror Hill, airing Thursdays for your hardcore, more brutal offerings. Drew Blood's Dark Tales airs Friday, featuring some southern down-home horror. Fear from the Heartland airs Wednesdays. 
Longtime resident Otis Cheery has a show on Sunday nights that features two stories on the standard edition, as well as two more, which can be accessed through our patrons area. Now, our weekly descent into the depths has just about come to a close. But before we go, I'd like to take a moment to thank you for joining us tonight and remind you to take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave Chilling Tales for Dark Nights a five-star review and a kind word. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, if you haven't already. And of course, subscribe to us on YouTube, where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012. And consider signing up as a patron on our website, ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, to show your support and get all of our content ad-free. I'm your host of the evening, Danielle Hewitt, and it's been a pleasure. Tune in again next week when we once again turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Sweet dreams, listener. Sweet dreams. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights.